I'm John. I'm Paul. I'm George. And I play the drums. From Pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette and Chachi's co-host, Beatles instructor at Suffolk University, David Galan. Well, hello, everybody. This is Chachi LaPrette. Welcome to Get Back to the Beatles on Pod617.com. Thank you for joining us uh, today, and here we are. I think I consider this our official broadcast. The last one, we, it was like a soft opening for me. We were live at, uh, we were in Norwood at the Norwood Space Center at a Beatle party, and uh, there was some new noise in the background, and we did little vignettes with David Yaz, our, our man in charge here. And uh, Right, David, are you here? Oh, come on. Well, my mic wasn't up, there but now I am. We had a, we uh, had a good, you, Josh. there it. you go, there he is. We had a, um, a good uh, show at the Norwood Space Center, and we have another one coming up on June 23rd. We're celebrating Ringo and Paul's birthday, our pingo party. But we have previous episodes, uh, little vignettes from that party. But here we are, full-scale show today, and uh, here with my co-host, and this guy is the best. I've known him for years. We met at the 40th anniversary of the Beatles performance at Suffolk Downs in Boston, We've been dear friends ever since. He brings the academic approach to the Beatles, uh, to our program. It's Mr. David Gallant, who is the Beatles instructor at Suffolk University. Chachi, thank you very much. How are you? um, I'm great. It's it's good to be here. (laughs) It's good to be anywhere, as a famous comedian once said. And uh, you're right, that uh, last event was sort of a kickoff. We were were amongst the happy masses, the happy Beatle masses. Yes. And um, And Candy Leonard was on. Candy Leonard. The author of Beatleness, and we had Kathy Joyce. Our our resident uh, Beatle artist. Our Beatle artist, (laughs) and a huge George Harrison fan, and... David was there with Mike, with Mike uh, and John and the crew from pod617.com. But here we are in a nice, quiet surroundings with no background noise to disturb. I was very distracted by the band. The Onos were playing in the background, and it got pretty loud. But it's good to be here and talking about the Beatles, all kinds of subjects. Today, we're going to just bounce around and talk about some current events, talk about some things that are coming up. And uh, one of those and uh, is very important. It's this month. Paul McCartney, his birthday's coming up June 18th. And uh, what year was he born? I didn't even write it down. 43, I think it was. Uh, was it 43? Well, David can check that out, but we yeah. do know that. Uh, 42 or 43. 42, 43. And I met Paul a bunch of times, David. Uh, You're a lucky man. Chief. Yes, I was very, very lucky to meet him. I interviewed him in 1986, David. Paul, born June 18th, 1942. There you go. Ah, 45, there you go. presently, yeah. 75 years old. And the guy, I, Steph says to my wife, Stephanie says to me the other day, we need to do yoga. That's how Paul McCartney stays all nimble on stage at his age. And uh, she had nothing to back that up. She just assumes <laughs> that uh, Paul does do yoga because he is, uh, well, he's a vegetarian, pretty thin guy, and he bounces around on stage. And it's good. I, I met him in 1986 first for the, I think it was 86, for the Give My Regards to Broad Street movie. Did you see that movie? Uh, uh, something that we'd, uh, <coughs> we, we'd rather not uh, mention. It uh, <laughs> should be consigned to the, the dustbin of Beatle history along with... Uh, <laughs> Uh, all, re- all due respect to your to your wife and her affection for the Bee Gees, along with Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, <laughs> the movie. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, um, uh, regrettable in some ways. And uh, not always even the best songs coming out of it. Paul, who had been a, a, a movie film master, really, with Live and Let Die, 
Uh, give my regards to Broad Street. Uh, I'm glad you got to meet him because of that event, Chassie. Yes. You know what the thing was? When I'm, it was my first meeting with him. I went with a co-worker at WBCN Radio, Tom Sandman, who we still talk to today. We're still good friends. And uh, they flew us to New York on a junket. You saw the movie on the night before. And then you got to interview Paul the next day. And, uh, of course, I raved to Paul about how I love the movie. <laughs> and at that moment, I did, you know, I guess. Uh, uh, but it was fun. There were a bunch of radio stations, and they brought us up to a hotel. They, he had the whole floor, and Linda was there. And they brought us in uh, a station at a time. We did our interview. We got a photograph. We got the reel of uh, the interview handed to us as we left. And that was my first meeting with uh, Paul and... Of course, the movie, as David Gallant says, not the best and not one you'd want to put on your, you know, the 10 movies you take to a deserted island. There it is. Yeah. But some of the uh, things that maybe you didn't know about Paul McCartney, I'm going to test you, Mr. Gallant. Uh-oh. Uh, not oh. necessarily a test, but these are things that maybe you don't know. Maybe you could disagree with them, or disagree with them. But uh, the most influential person in Paul's life, I would consider that to be his dad. Uh, um, his dad, uh, possibly um, uh, also his, his mother, who he lost when he was only 13 years old, and um, maybe John Lennon. Yeah, that too, but I thought that uh, those early years of when, let me see, I think Paul's dad gave Paul a trumpet. No, ab- absolutely, absolutely. His, his father's famous uh, phrase, son, learn an instrument, and th- I always have my students remember this, it's a great sense of alliteration, it'll be your passport to popularity. Really? Yes. And, and he and was he, right. Yes, and he said that he remembers as a kid sitting in the front room and noticing that there was a photograph of his dad, who was a, a jazz musician, the Jim Mack Trad Jazz Band, and uh, it was a picture of his father uh, holding an instrument and uh, being surrounded by a bunch of pretty girls in dresses. And young Paul thought, or young James Paul, thought, I think that that's, that's a good thing. And so it would be his passport to popularity. Uh, and you're, I'm sure you'll, you'll regale us with the story, but uh, the trumpet didn't work out. Why, Chachi? Um, it, wasn't, it didn't mangle his lips. There was some reason why he didn't like it. Go ahead, tell you me. Can't, you can't sing and play the trumpet at the same time. Ah. Even Satchmo had to put the trumpet aside to do to his sing. scat. Yeah, That's exactly. true. That's true. And um, he had a brother, of course, Mike McCart- McCartney. And uh, what else can I tell you about Paul? At, at his family home, Paul and his brother Mike would like wake up to gunfire. Did you know that they lived kind of near a police uh, training uh, ground? Yes, police you training grounds. You knew that. Yes, police training grounds, and also uh, when they were in uh, Allerton, uh, when they moved out there into what were called council houses, we would call them housing projects, uh, but what were built after the devastation of World War II, Liverpool, the industrial north being hit particularly hard, uh, both uh, Paul and George grew up in these council houses, and um, he lived in Allerton, uh, abutting the municipal golf course, and, and on the other side of Allerton Golf Course was the neighborhood of Woolton. Of course. So he and John Lennon grew up across probably the seventeenth uh, green. Eh, so, and David, that's why we have David Gallant on the program. This guy knows so much. He fills in the colors and the lines here. That that's I... as much as I know about golf, Judge. <laughs> yes. well, Is there any know... room for non-Beals information in your brain, Professor? <laughs> I... yes. yes. Okay. Uh, yes. 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 Uh, Mostly family. There's, there's some. Yeah. Some. There's some <laughs> room in my brain for things. I don't. I don't we'll see. The other thing with Paul was uh, he failed an audition twice to be a choir boy. And that was on purpose because he didn't want to sing in a choir. 
if, if the I'd Beatles. Like to say uh, thank you on behalf of the group. <laughs> I hope we passed the audition. <laughs> different, uh, different Beatle, I realize, but yeah, still. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, an audition nonetheless. Uh, part of the attraction of the Beatles is they, uh, those in the know would not confuse them with choir boys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what else. I wrote little notes here. Linda was dedicated to Paul's welfare and protection. Once in Nigeria, when Wings was making Band on the Run, Paul was surrounded by a gang of armed muggers, and Linda made herself a human shield, ready to take a knife or a bullet for Paul. Actually, I think they put Denny Lane out front because he was expendable. <laughs> Denny said to them, go now. And uh, they all, uh, that's a go. little bad that's, joke. That's a little bad. Did you know that um, Paul on his farm in Scotland, and I think maybe even Essex, Paul would have pizza flown in from New York by the Concord jet. These are all, you know, debatable. You could say it's true or not true, but these are things that I've heard over the years. He'd have pizza flown in by the Concord. <laughs> Chachi, this reminds me of, uh, of our work at many of these Beatle events over the years where you'll, you'll ask the crowd, you know, hoping that uh, them <laughs> salivating at the thought, at the idea, at the vain hope of getting a T-shirt that says Beatles on it and... You'll ask them slyly. Now, is that trivia or trivial? Or trivial. That is true. That is trivial. Yeah. But an interesting note, and I'm sure there's probably no meat on the pizza. Let's see. What else? Did you know? This is kind of like far-fetched. Little, uh, well, let's see what you think. If not for Paul and the Beatles' success, the CT scan may not have been around. Now, Chachi, I did not know that, but... Uh uh, you, you've got some deep medical knowledge there, so <laughs> inform us. Paul and the Beatles were signed to EMI. EMI also owned a computer research facility run by Godfrey Hounsfield. And because the Beatles brought in so much money, EMI was able to invest in Hounsfield's new technology. Thus, the CT scan was born. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> reminds me of uh, <clears throat> my days... Uh, at, uh, at uh, uh, getting my master's at Boston College in the, in the post-Doug Flutie era. And because of Flutie's success in football, they built new chemistry labs and new dormitories, and, <laughs> and the law school expanded and all these wonderful things. So, you know, uh, someone would sneeze and the kids on campus would say, Doug, bless you. So now that someone can get a CT scan and, and hopefully uh, engage in a lot of preventative health care, they can <laughs> say, thank you, Paul. Bless you, Sir Paul. Bless you, Sir Paul. Let's see, in 1973, Paul received some seeds in the mail from a fan. Out of curiosity, Paul planted them on his farm in Scotland to see what they were. He ended up being fined 100 pounds by the police when they discovered Paul had pot plants on his property. Oh, I thought that daisies were illegal to <laughs> grow at home in Scotland. What year did he get busted in Japan? I believe uh, this was, uh, I'm going to say 81. Wow. Okay, so was that long? Okay. Could we have a verification on that, uh, David? Sure. Uh, uh, man, on it. This guy's the best. I love David. <laughs> I, I remember that uh, it was only uh, uh, it was still in the midst, I believe, just after the uh, uh, the U.S. hostages from the uh, U.S. embassy had been taken in mm -hmm. in Tehran, and Saturday Night Live would start with day five of the hostage. Sir uh. Paul still in Japan. Well, let me see. I interviewed him in 1990 at, um, not Gillette Stadium, Sullivan Stadium, I guess it was called, uh, Foxborough Stadium, whichever one it was, in 1980. Paul played there. I interviewed him, Carter Allen and I, from WBCN. We interviewed him in a trailer 
backstage before the show, and at one point, we're you know live and uh, on the air, interviewing him, and these police sirens start screaming, and I play this on my radio show often, uh, and Paul Paul hears the, the sirens, and he said, "No, no, it's not ours. It doesn't belong to us. This is our trailer. Please, it's not ours." And it was he was making obviously a pot reference, uh, <laughs> so I was wondering if you know, I, so certainly it was before then. Well, you know what? If he comes back to Boston, uh, we are now in a legal state, so, you know, that is correct. bless his heart. That is correct. David? Pretty um, silly way to try to woo Paul McCartney back to Massachusetts, <laughs> but I, su- I support it. Uh, January 16th, 1980, McCartney busted at Tokyo's Narita, Narita International Narita. Airport for trying to bring half a pound of pot into the country. There you go. I'm surprised it's only a half a pound. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, not a minuscule amount for the Japanese authorities. No, and shortly after that, I think Wings just like called it quits. It was around then where they just had enough. Did you know Paul didn't, doesn't like roller coasters? Uh, trivia? Uh, trivia? I, I did not know that. Uh, uh, what was it? The, the, the giant slide ride was the Helter Skelter, Helter Skelter right? Yes. At the Carnival Park. That's but there's correct. also an amusement, uh, the amusement uh, uh, park in uh, Ride, R-Y-D-E, right? That's the right. seaport town for a ticket to ride. You get a ticket to ride. That is correct. And so... I, 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 ticket to ride, the, the sub story there. Yes. I tell my students this one. Please do. Is that um, it was a pun several different ways. Both Ride, the, the, the port town where they would have the amusement park, as well as um, the, uh, the German ladies of the evening, the prostitutes, uh, uh, in Hamburg when they were there, uh, very regulated and legalized and, you know, uh, sanctioned and uh, zoned for that, uh, for that trade, um, would all have had uh, health inspections. And so they could show a potential customer their <laughs> ticket that they were free of all known communicable uh, diseases. That was your ticket to ride. Okay, I, I'm sitting with two Davids here, and all I can say is those were the days. <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> So Paul McCartney's birthday, David. You have something to say, David? Why? Well, going back to something uh, the other David said prior, which you guys left hanging in the air out of respect, I imagine, for the Beatles, but that they were were no choir boys. And there's always been a question that's lingered in my head. That there, when you're a boy band, you, there are certain fringe benefits that come with this when you're on the road and such. And the Beatles were the were the ultimate boy band. They're also, but the, the ultimate swarmed by paparazzi and everything else. So. Mm-hmm. How did they get away with anything, I guess is the question. <laughs> well, well it, uh, they were a, a grown boy band or a young man band, I would say. Mm-hmm. I think boy band is a very different uh, very different connotation or structure, professional structure that we know of, right? Um, how did they get away with it? Well, I mean... I take it they did okay with the ladies. This is they the did, sort of they subtext did, here. Um, <laughs> uh, we're podcasting, right? Yeah. Yes. I don't yes. think my, my, my wife left a little Well, David's the boss, so yeah. David, he'll yeah. edit out what we can't exactly. say. Exactly. Well, you know, it. as the saying goes, David they got more ass than a toilet seat. <laughs> yes. uh, which, which John would wear around his neck on stage in Hamburg. So That's in Hamburg, right. there, there, there was a license to do everything so they could get away with anything, and no one cared about them. It was really hounding them. But uh, there was a good sense of a, a security net to quell things a little bit. One eruption uh, back in the day, right? It was at Paul's, Paul's 21st birthday. There mm-hmm. was a fight between John Lennon and um, Bob Wooler. Bob Wooler. Who implied or intimated that John, who had gone off on holiday with Brian Epstein, that, that they had had a romantic 
tryst, so so to speak. That was reported. Uh, John would say that their first press was bad press about that fight. Yep. And it was reported in the Liverpool Echo, maybe, or some local newspapers. But uh, um, Brian Epstein was a master, if you will, at... Uh, um, managing, if you will. Yeah, and what made impressed. it, in, you know, what made the all the gossip was the fact that his wife just had a baby, Julian, right. and here he is going on vacation after being away on tour. But life was a lot different back then. I mean, John Kennedy, the the press let let JFK get away with a ton, and but there are stories I think uh, that might be true uh, of uh, women just brought into the hotel, and the boys would take their pick, and. Uh, you know, the night would be fun. And magically, some of those women had daughters who just wanted to see the Beatles in concert, and they got tickets. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> so June 18th this month is Paul's birthday party. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Paul. And we are having a birthday party for Paul June 23rd at the Norwood Space Center, our pingo party celebrating Ringo and Paul's birthday. I also met Paul uh, one time... Uh, I'm friends with Danny Bennett and Tony Bennett. I've known Tony Bennett for 30 years. Danny's Tony's manager. I was invited out to Abbey Road Studios when Tony was making his duets album uh, where Tony was going to record a track with Paul McCartney and record a track with uh, George Michael. Uh, My wife and I, Steph, we flew out to London and we got to hang out in studio too. Got to see all kinds of things in the back rooms of Abbey Road Studios. Paul McCartney canceled the session he said he had the flu, but it was during the Heather days. And then, but George Michael came in and singing, seeing George Michael sing a song with Tony Bennett in two takes. And uh, we're all invited out for dinner. Uh, uh, the producer, the famous producer, Billy Joel, Phil Ramone, produced the sessions. George Michael's there, Tony Bennett's there. I'm there with Steph and Danny Bennett, everybody. Let's all go out for dinner. George Michael's very busy. No, I gotta go, I gotta go. He leaves. And so we go off for dinner with Tony, have a nice time. The next morning we wake up in the hotel and George Michael was busted the night before in Hyde Park, passed out in his car uh, with animal tranquilizers and sex toys. And his, his, um, his picture on the Daily Mail, he was wearing the same T-shirt he wore to the session the night before. Uh, also not a choir boy. Not a choir boy, the late George Michael. But boy, he could sing. That was memorable. And then uh, because Paul... Uh, canceled the session. Something better always comes along, so I was invited to Carnegie Hall where Paul's orchestral uh, interpretation, whatever... Was this... Now, this was after Liverpool Oratorio? That's what it was. Okay. And so we flew to New York and sat in uh, Tony's box, Judy Collins, and then we got a note saying, hey, come to this apartment after the show for a little get-together with Paul. So Danny Bennett and I... uh, went to this penthouse in the east upper east side of new york police everywhere escorted upstairs opening the elevator and we're right in the living room uh or the foyer i should probably say of linda eastman's brother linda mccartney's brother and we all had dinner with megastars lorne michaels alec baldwin um woody harrelson judy collins all at this giant table, and we had a beautiful dinner. So that was fantastic. I've never been fortunate enough to have such a, a brush with greatness. I would say that about uh, a week before Chachi was going to this event um, uh, was the first time he came to my class uh, to guest lecture. And so uh, he, he was telling the class, regaling them with the story that he'd be going to New York to meet 
potentially uh, Sir Paul. So uh, I made sure that Chachi left with a uh, Suffolk University T-shirt. I did. And, uh, and I brought it and I left it yes. for him. Left it for him. Yep, so with this guy. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So if we ever see him sporting that, then yep. we know what happened. Hey, he probably did have the flu that day at Abbey Road. The, he probably the, did. The flu was called Heather. So oh. <laughs> Chachi, by the way, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice. Oh right. Okay. What? Well, so, but <laughs> if I may, so the, these these the glitterati you mentioned at this yes, uh, dinner, dinner were were acquainted with McCartney. They were there for all McCartney, friends but, with Paul. And so you mentioned Lorne Michaels yes. and who was there a connection there? Because I know Michaels famously made the half joking offer to have the Beatles come play on SNL for a thousand dollars each or something right. like that. Paul yeah. and Lorne Michaels have been friends for many many years. In fact, Dana Carvey did a bit where he was invited to a dinner many years ago at Lauren's house, and Lauren says, uh, uh, Dana, Paul and Linda are coming. <laughs> and so the doorbell rang, and I've played this on my show, mm. and he goes, he opens the door, uh, Dana Carvey and Paul and Linda are standing there, and he got, bah, 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 bah. he lost, you know, he could, didn't know what to say, and it's a funny bit. He did it on, on, his, uh, on his show, and, uh, but yeah, he was there. They've been friends for many, many years. Um, McCartney, I'm sure you guys know this, um, played at the, what was it, the 40th reunion for SNL, um, that they, the show they yep. did maybe a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And at the, I heard Jimmy Fallon's version of the story, but at the after party, they had a stage set up with instruments so that people like Taylor Swift or whoever wandered by, eventually Prince came by, I guess. But McCartney was up there and Taylor Swift is up there and she said, well, oh, what do you want to play? And, and she, she and he said, "Well, oh, play one of your songs." And she said, "Want to play Shake It Off?" He goes, "Shake, shake it, it off. off, sure, I can shake it off." Yeah, so, so. And, and, and note perfect the bass line. He just did it. Yeah, like oh, he was really? a studio musician. Yeah, so he never yeah. heard the song before. Uh, he probably had heard it, but he could just go right along with it when she started uh, up. So okay. when Fallon's words, "I've been shaking it off since before you were born." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, Carvey does a great. Uh, a great Paul McCartney, uh, probably not in his presence, which is why he became yeah, exactly. tongue-tied. But uh, he had imagined, uh, I think it was uh, because of the 40th anniversary or after the Grammys, and uh, he did that bit where he was imagining John Lennon from heaven mm-hmm. talking to Paul McCartney about Kanye West yes. because they had been recording together and played that for my students. It's rather funny, the whole bit about a vocalizer and an auto-tuner. You know, what's an auto-tuner? That's an auto-tuner. You know, yeah. Well, let's talk about this other subject. We missed it last month. It's Paul-related. It was, to this day, probably the greatest concert I ever saw. May 22nd, 1976, if my memory serves correct. The uh, Boston Garden, Wings Over America. It was the first time Paul was in Boston as a solo artist. And boy, what a show it was. David, did you grow up around here in Boston? Did I? You both Davids. I'm Southeastern Mass. Southeastern? Yeah. Yeah, the uh, hard scrabble streets of Sharon, Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. I, w- I was a country boy in Rehoboth. And, uh, so you probably weren't at that show. I was not at that show. No, it was, I was one not. of the first times I ever smelt marijuana. The room was just the whole arena was just filled with pot. I think at that time I may have recently purchased. If it was seventy six or seventy seven, I may have just purchased London Town on eight track. Ah, okay. I think that was around that time. Yeah, yeah. I loved eight tracks. I I still have an affection for eight tracks. I don't care if they interrupt the song, but there's <laughs> something about an eight track. But that show was fantastic. Three songs from the Boston Garden show ended up on the Wings Over America album, and that would be let me see if my memory serves correct. Live and Let Die, 
Oh God, I forget the other two. I just talked about it on my show last. Probably week. without as many pyrotechnics as he pyrotechnics. Oh, live and let he, die was as he does crazy. Now you know, I thought Fenway was going to explode. <clears throat> the last yes, time he did, did do explosions in the garden. No, it he was, did. It was mind blowing, and it was a fantastic show. So that was 1976. How many years ago was that, Professor Gallant? That's uh, that would be. Uh, uh, 42 years ago? 42 years ago. I loved Wings ago. Over America. I bought a t-shirt at the show. I did not go to that concert. I went to the Tall Ships in Boston that year, but I didn't make ah. it to the concert. And what is this? The changing world. <laughs> Live and Let Die, the big crescendo of Paul's shows. You know, it only it only ever makes it, I'm always amazed at this, it only ever makes it up to number two of a uh, uh, rating of Bond themes. Really? What's number one? Oh, Goldfinger. That's it. You, yeah. Shirley Bassey. It's tough to beat Shirley uh, Bassey. But this is pretty. This is this is up there. Yeah. You well, know? unless think, they can make two number ones. No, I think Shirley. Yeah. I think Paul would even say, you know, Shirley Bassey gets that. I, I, Spy Who Loved Me has trouble cra- uh, cracking the top mm. ten. Well, Spy. I'm, yes. I'm not even talking the uh, the Radiohead yeah. version. How about Spies Like Us, Paul? McCartney? Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was I was half sitting here panicking that uh, Duran Duran was gonna uh, uh, the top uh, uh, view to a kill. kill oh, yeah. Please, no, which didn't even make sense uh, grammatically. <laughs> no. Never mind being just no. an okay sound. No, it doesn't make sense grammatically. Do you dare enter Monsterland? You may not know that some 50 miles west of Boston sits what may be one of the most diverse and comprehensive paranormal locations in the world. If you listen to the Monsterland podcast, the secrets will be revealed to you. I'm Maddie Blake, actor, TV host, and believer, and I'm fortunate to be co-hosting the show with the author of the book known as Monsterland, Ronnie LeBlanc. Thanks, Maddie. Well, you said it. We're practically next door to the Lemster State Forest, a place that's had a decades-long list of strange phenomena, including UFOs, paranormal activity, Bigfoot, strange sightings, occult, and military activity. Absolutely. And Ronnie, on the Monsterland podcast, we'll be joined by a murderer's row of experts from all over the world to finally figure out if these claims belong in the myth or Monsterland files. So make sure you listen, binge, and believe as each chapter of our mysterious journey unfolds. You can find the Monsterland podcast on pod617.com, the mighty pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network. Join the passionate fans who we're already hearing from. See you soon in Monsterland. But another uh, big thing happening every year, it seems, is always big Beatle events coming. And here we are approaching July, and we are so excited. It's another 50th anniversary. Professor Gallant, what is the anniversary I'm thinking of? Well, okay. Uh, 50 (laughs) years, we're talking 1968. That is correct. Uh, uh, A huge, huge year for the Beatles, and uh, going off in many different directions, many different ways. Probably one of my favorite eras to cover because 68 is such a year of turmoil in the outside world and it goes right into the Beatles as in the Beatles aka the White Album Uh, the world is having a nervous breakdown some people have said about 1968 all the political turmoil and the Beatles sort of divide they divide amongst themselves and and conquer the charts at the same time you know because you've got the White Album you have right in the middle of the summer. You have "Hey Jude" and "Revolution." Yeah, I mean, it, you know, crazy. Their, their greatest number, their greatest single, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they all loved it. John loved it. Mm-hmm. He says it was one of his favorite songs that Paul ever wrote. Yeah. Because he thought it was about him. Yeah, right. right? Exactly. And Paul said, no, it's about me. So everybody <laughs> could find their own voice in it. Uh, I always tell my students, I think that Lennon loved it in particular because it, it voiced this sort of comfort and solace to his son that he could never express, mm-hmm. but Uncle Paul could. Yes. So he said, this is a beautiful gift, right? Yeah. So I think of, when I think of 50 Years, 68, I think of that first. But then, of course, the release of uh, Yellow Submarine. And that's what I was thinking when I said yeah. that, David. So for now, we're going to talk about Yellow Submarine. It's coming out again 50 years later in July. Locally in the Boston area, it's playing at a bunch of places. I will be hosting a Q&A uh, with Ron Campbell. Ron Campbell is the last surviving member of the animation team for Yellow Submarine. It was a large team, too. It was. It was a large team of writers and a large team of animators. Yes. Yeah. So uh, Ron came in on the tail end of it. In fact, uh, I will confirm this with him, but he has told me in the past that he's not even credited on the film. He is not. I look for his name all yep. the time, and I point it out to my students, who I, uh, many of them over the years have met Ron at yes. some of these events at yeah. the West End Museum. Very generous guy, yeah. and they, they love the film. They also love to know that Ron animated uh, some of their favorite uh, Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon oh, shows know. growing up. Ed, Ed, Nettie, Scooby-Doo. The guy is yeah, Scooby-Doo. The guy <laughs> is so talented, and he has such a great heart, and he's he's an older gentleman, obviously. He's probably, I think he's like 79, 80 years old, but he is touring the country this year uh, doing art, selling art, and showing uh, his Yellow Submarine artwork and telling stories. So at the Tecan Center in Natick in July... Uh, check your listings uh, for the particular date, but there'll be a night where I will be there hosting a Q&A after a showing of Yellow Submarine. It's also playing at the Regent Theater in Arlington. Our buddy Leland is a great guy over there. It's playing the Somerville Theater. It's playing... Uh, I've also seen it'll appear at the Coolidge. The Coolidge. Coolidge Corner in Brookline. Yes. So plenty of places to see Yellow Submarine, but smaller art theaters, not necessarily your big, uh, your big uh, megaplexes. And Yellow Submarine, for me, um, I loved the film, but the Beatles didn't like it when they first saw it. They did not like it, and I think when they got the saw the reaction of the fans, then they kind of uh, came yeah, around. Yeah, I, I think they, they, they liked it when they saw it. They didn't like the idea of it. They really? wanted nothing. It was purely... A, a bad, for them, a bad late contractual obligation mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Brian had signed them up for, and they owed something else to United Artists. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's where they had a bit of a distaste for it. And, and um, coming off of the cartoons, they hated the cartoons. They hated the cartoons. Uh, they didn't want to be turned into cartoons. This is where you've got this incredible disconnect where 68 gives us the, the greatest sort of... Uh, children's eye view as well as hip adult eye view of of the Beatles and Yellow Submarine which speaks across generations very much for the kid in all of us it's very hopeful it's very light the message is all about love and you have the White Album which can be very dark very dark masterpiece and it's so you've got the the Technicolor animated Beatles and even the the album which I don't believe comes out until 69 maybe the even though you see all that artwork and everyone's familiar with the film and the animation and that's as, as extreme a version of the Beatles getting away from reality. I show my students the progression of the album covers, starting with Revolver, which is, you know, anti-representational, and Sgt. Pepper, the great collage, Magical Mystery Tour, the dressed up as animals, and then you have the complete cartoon, complete fantasy, and then the White Album, which is get rid of it all, start from scratch. 
So it's a it's a great sort of you know um, uh, contrast there. So, uh, but it's they didn't like the idea of it. Didn't like being turned into cartoons. Uh, as we know, they only show up as themselves at the very end uh, to all together now. And you know, blue meanies are inside of this theater. What shall we do? You know, the huh? best sideburns ever on John Lennon. You think so? No, the, the sideboards, pork, the, the pork chops on the side. Yeah, the there. mutton chops. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but of course, when it received. A claim from the uh, the high art world, they loved it, especially yeah. McCartney, because he was very much part of that underground art world and art scene even before John was. Right. And so uh, when you got the the insiders, you know, the the film historians saying that it was a great advance in animation, and you could take your kids to it at the same time, you know, you've got everybody on the. Uh, pardon me, guys. Yeah. On the okay, album cover, is that uh, John? Giving Paul the rabbit ears on, or what is what's going on there? Oh, Do you of know? course, it's it's some sort of uh, sub Eastern cult religion sign of death, you it's, know, as, as we all well, know. It's the evil eye. Uh, I don't know if it's Malukia, <laughs> right? Well, Malukia. <laughs> as this podcast progresses, uh, I I was obsessed with that as a kid because I had a music teacher who loved the Beatles, but was also obsessed with the Paul is dead clues oh, and wow. told us every last one. Every last. Yeah, wow. and yes. and that is one of them. That's where I was actually going with the question. But do you think that's uh, nonsense? Or? Um, I, yeah, I don't, Chachi, bookmark uh, podcast in the future. I'll come in with the book mm. my students gave me, The Great Beetle Death Clues. That's right. Good and book. I have it's, it. it's, it's, uh, yeah. But that, that's uh, done yeah. by artists. That's not done by the Beatles. They did, the Beatles didn't give them any direction in, in the album cover. Or, or did they? Or did they? <laughs> Who knows? But listen to David Wise's uh, voice. He has such a great radio voice. Say Thank you. See and that? radio face. Isn't Thank that you, Josh. A great voice? It. See, I'm a radio guy. I've been in radio for 36 years in Boston. And when I hear a voice like that, it's, oh, gee, you should be doing something. Chachi, I'm just impressed that he said the podcast was progressing. It is progressing. <laughs> <laughs> but Yellow Submarine was a big deal for me. The White Album, boy, when I picked up that album, a little late, thank sorry. you. Yep. I, think I, I think I may have paid eleven ninety eight for the White Album back then, uh, which was unheard of. But you got the 8x10 photos, and you got the poster with the lyrics in the back, and, and then you had Yoko saying he'd become naked. On the White Album, and uh, but I love the White Album. Four different sides, four different Beatles, and uh, so fifty years of the White Album. I think uh, I think Giles Martin's working on something. Uh, very uh, uh, very telling uh, uh, inserts and in artwork. Everyone was so you know happy or impressed that um, uh, your your Beatle product was well before the term was current multimedia, right? With Sgt. Pepper, you had the cutouts that came with it and everything. If you were lucky enough and you got the expanded EP of uh, Magical Mystery Tour, you got the booklet, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And the White Album came with a poster I had on my college dorm Amazing. room. Two-sided poster, That's right? right? The lyrics collage the photographs back. and lyrics on the back. And four photographs, the Beatles individual. Yep. It's reproduced on the inside because you had the four black and white and then the color photographs individual to perforate a, a, a premonition, if you will, of the four separate Beatles on Let It Be. So this was really sort of a sign, right, that they mm -hmm. were for leading four separate musical lives and playing together, yeah. right, when they, as almost as sidemen. And just visually, I always tell my students that it, you can't avoid the visual that the Beatles are giving you, right? The iconography and everything and the photography, much of it is very, very planned, which is why it's hard for me just to say, oh, they had nothing to do with the Yellow Submarine cover, right? Yeah, right. Always something to do with everything. 
even though the musical product you would think is a little bit slapdash on one side, what you know, what didn't we let George record on Sgt. Pepper? Okay, let's put it on Yellow Submarine. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, uh, except for I would say Hey Bulldog is a gem, really. Gem. Gem. Uh, I always felt that it was uh, the second. You, know, you only had a one-sided Beatle album there, and the other side was instrumentals from the film. I highly prefer the instrumentals on the uh, United Artists "Hard Days Night" soundtrack compared to George Martin's orchestral maneuvers I, in the dark. <laughs> I am in agreement with you, and I also will state here that I am a fan of the American Beatle releases, not the UK releases. I know you know track listings for the American albums, but. Uh, not for the UK, but I prefer the American Beatle albums. And my radio show on WUMB, Breakfast with the Beatles, ninety-one point nine FM. Uh, I am I, the default is always the American albums before the UK albums because that's what I grew up with, and I I do the show to please myself. What are the differences, <laughs> what, Chesh? What are the for the uninitiated? What are the differences? There's mixed differences, and certainly mm-hmm. track listings. Capitol Records, and David can help me with this. Capitol Records, in the spirit of capitalism. You know, the UK put 14 songs on an album uh, in an effort to save royalty rights, uh, royalty money. Uh, Capital cut it down to 10 or maybe even 11 tracks because once you hit the threshold of maybe 12, you pay extra royalties. David, correct me if I'm mm. wrong. Uh, but basically, the, the albums in America were different from the UK because they made more albums with the same amount of songs as opposed to the UK putting 14 on an album. So uh, would those lost songs, would they like show up as B-sides of singles or something would, like that in the United States? Or, or uh, no, they, they would end up on different albums. Yeah, different, different albums, albums oh, okay. that, that yeah. don't have a, they don't have an analog or a parallel in the UK. I wondered if you were saying, you know, David, correct me, as in someone who teaches the class or yes. the attorney who would know about royalties and contracts <laughs> well, you know, uh, and residuals attorney. and things like we that. We've got to figure this out with two Davids here. <laughs> David G, David You know what? Y. We don't want to slip into the, uh, in his own right, John Lennon, the poem, Too Many Daves, yes. right? <laughs> Too Many Daves, so, right. Uh, but I, I think what happened was that since Capital held off on buying into the Beatles, you know, even though EMI owned Capital, uh, wanted to push the Beach Boys first and held off on releasing albums like Please Please Me and uh, really sort of were behind the curve. Uh, when they came to the party late and re-released Beatle material that had been out there for a year and a half, almost two years in England, they never stopped sort of putting out their own version of the Beatles and figured that it didn't matter. Sequencing didn't matter. Authorial intent didn't matter. George Martin and working with them for song sequencing didn't matter. The concepts of their albums. And Martin really felt that even an album, their second album, with the Beatles in the UK, was already a songbook or a concept album. And so Capital screwed around with that for profit and product, as you mentioned. But then they thought they had actually an artistic reason to do it. And that's when they messed around with Rubber Soul. And so what we have with Rubber Soul and Help and Revolver it's those three albums as they appear in the UK where you really get a sense of this is where the Beatles were going and why. When Capital screws around with that and they take three albums and make four out of it with Yesterday and Today, then that's where I, I can't go with you know the Capital sequencing. By the time Sgt. Pepper comes, it's all even. Yeah, it evens out because the Beatles demand, you know, yeah. you can't mess with our albums. Dave Dexter Jr. <laughs> your Angel favorite. Your or favorite. Devil. Your favorite. You know, <laughs> I, I, I have a love hate relationship with the late Dave Dexter Jr. Uh, I loved what he did only because that's what I know. You know, I'm certainly, I could sit here and go, you know, Dave, I give you the evil eye for what you did, for busting up the albums. But I love this Beatles second album. I love something new. 
I love the early Beatles, although, boy, they came late to the table with the early Beatles. I mean, they came out with like 60, 65, I think, putting out the stuff from Please Please Me. So Capital USA screwed up bad, while EMI in Canada is releasing Beatle albums, Beatle records, and doing a good job with it. Well, they're a Commonwealth country, so they, they followed along with what the they Brits follow, were doing. And, you know, and then Alan Livingston, the president of Capitol, had a call up, you know, Dave Dexter Jr. saying, hey, dude, I know you hate the Beatles. I know you're a jazz and blues guy. I know you hate rock. But you're in charge of the Beatles catalog? I mean, what is that all about? And then, so anyway, Dave, and, and he also messed with the mixes a little bit. He Americanized them, which I love, the deep echo of... I feel fine. She's a woman. Those kinds of mixes, so it's a little. It, it goes into the the mix of the songs as well. It's it's the rubber soul where I where I really have to jump ship just because of you. Uh, the beginnings, the beginnings of Beatle albums are so important. Uh, you know, Revolver has to begin with Taxman and the and the Faux Counting. Yep. Uh, and now I've come to learn and love that Rubber Soul has to start with Drive My Car, not uh, with I've Just Seen a Face. No, Drive My Car is yesterday and today. Nah. Rubber Soul is uh, uh, Things We... No, Things We... Um, I've, I've Just, just seen, seen a Face. face. You're right. It's, it's more of a country folk album. They, they drive my well, car. It's, it's the idea that in the U.S., they wanted to capitalize on this folk blues, folk, folk rock blues, yeah, movement with what Dylan was doing. And if Dylan could get a top 10 hit, let's sort of make the Beatles in that ilk. And so that's why they start with I've Just Seen a Face. And uh, I think that Drive My Car starts a little bit more bluesy and um, not so much folk oriented. You've got that later on in the album. And so you, you have a very different character that you're, you know, you, you've How got a lot of How come I don't variety. hear blues in Drive My Car and you do? What, what is wrong with McCartney's me? bass, you know, that this, it drives it like this car. It does. Yeah, yeah. It does. Yeah. I got to understand that because uh, it just sounds like a Beatles rock song to me, but maybe I, uh, I've lived with it for so long. I, I'm, I'm not a musician, but I have a lot of soul. That's my, it's my curse, <laughs> Okay, so David... Both Davids. How old were you guys in 1968? You? I was five years old. Holy cow. I was hip as hell, though. What, uh, which month? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> born. He may not, may not my, have joined. My cosmic uh, connection with the Beatles. Born October 1968. October 68. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, I'm the old one here. I was... Um, I had older siblings, so yeah, the, me music, too. the music was coming out of the stereo. Well, that that's my, all good. Uh, garage turntable. 68, I was, I, mean, I was born in 57. So I was 11 years old. I remember buying... Uh, Yellow Submarine at the Big Bear Market, which is now the Star Market, Shaw's and Cambridge, Mount Auburn Street. But here's some highlights from 1968. Now, although Sgt. Pepper didn't it came out in 1967, for me, it was an album from 68 because it was a prelude to the Summer of Love. And it turned out, even though a year later, it turned out to be the soundtrack of the Summer of Love. So although I know it was 67... A lot of people think that Sgt. Pepper is part of the Summer of Love, which I suppose it is. David G. Well, you know, I think um, I'll, I'll quote George saying that, oh, Summer of Love, that's a bunch of palaver, but, uh, you know, uh, people uh, uh, brushing their teeth with acid and the hate and everything. And George went out there to check it out. That's right. Uh, supposedly there'd be all this great... Uh, Inspired enlightenment as he was achieving through a higher consciousness, through meditation, not just through uh, chemical substances, and found out that, as he said, it was uh, it was just a bunch of spotty runaway kids. Mm -hmm. It was like the Bowery, and so I think there was a there was an underside to the Summer of Love. It was a great sales pitch, and a lot of people bought into it. 
but um, how much it actually sustained, you know, politically or yeah. spiritually, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure. Produced great music, great art. I think the, the, I think the hippie thing would have worked if you kept them in small groups and not a lot of people. It's when everyone gets involved and all the drugs and all that happens. But if you had a little... I remember in Cambridge, there was a rumor that there was a commune a few blocks down the street where just some hippies were living in this house and, you know, it's free love and everyone's sharing the meals. You know, <laughs> when, when we were looking to buy in Sharon, there was a rumor that the old, old house that we live in had once been a hippie commune and that uh, a woman came by who was probably from that era when there was the open house and went up to a room and said, we used to sit here and do this and do this Holy and smoke cow. this and listen to the Rolling Stones. And, and my wife was like, we have to buy it. This is ours. We have to buy this place. Well, I hope you change the carpeting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What else yeah. happened in 1968? Well, of course, the Vietnam War. Uh, I was working in Harvard. Well, no, no, I was 11 years old. I was a little young, but... A couple of years later, I was working in Harvard Square. I was in the square during the Harvard uh, uh, riots. Of the takeover. Yeah, I used to work at Sage's Market in Harvard Square. And I remember the Vietnam War uh, uh, and those, uh, those Harvard University riots. But of course, Planet of the Apes was out, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Rosemary's Baby. Those kinds of films were happening at the time. Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In took home Chachi, a lot Ro of Emmys. Rosemary's Baby uh, setting, filmed where? The Dakota. Exactly. The Dakota. Starring? Yes. Mia Farrow. Who? The sister of Prudence Farrow. And Mia also went to? India. In? India. 1968. Oh. <laughs> 1968. 1968. I love Mia Farrow. Let's go back full circle. Married and divorced to uh, from Frank Sinatra. Chairman of the board. And then she went on to Woody Allen and the rest is... Uh, Not well the chairman known. of the board. Not the chairman of the board. <laughs> But 1968 was memorable. Um, what else? Look, you know, there were assassinations, of course. Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King. Uh, let's see. 60 Minutes debuted in, uh, in yes, 1968. Yes, right. I mean, you'll, you'll often see, uh, I think they'll have some cut-ins or flashbacks uh, this season, uh, acknowledging the 50th anniversary of yep. 60 Minutes. Yep. Well, you know, I think it's time to say goodbye, David. David Gallant, professor uh, at Suffolk University. He's the instructor of the Beatles course. We want to thank you for coming here today. I, I, it's always an honor and a pleasure. And how is it that Ringo says it? Goodbye, Chachi. Goodbye, Chachi. Well, you know, a couple other things before we go. You can hear Breakfast with the Beatles on WUMB, WUMB.org, 91.9 FM in Boston and various parts of Massachusetts. And to the two Davids here, very soon I'll be announcing... Some additional stations that will be carrying my show. That will happen over the next couple of weeks, and we'll be talking about the podcast on my radio show. It's called Cross Pollination, where I talk about the podcast on my station, a radio radio show, and then on my radio show, I talk about the podcast, vice versa. You know what I'm trying to say, David? Yes, we're all catching the pollen you're spreading, Chuck. Appreciate <laughs> it. Yes, David. Yeah, I'm about to sneeze. David, how do you say your last name? Yes. Grow. You grow up in the Boston area in the '70s, and Z, you wear Chuck. number eight in it's Little League, and they call you Yaz. It's a Z. Oh, it's it's pronounced as a Z. Well, I mean, I, yeah, because it's spelled with an S. Yeah, I know. I would I would use the Z as well. It's uh, also yeah. okay, I, I just want to be you know. southeastern Mass. You know, the yeah. Portuguese we do the S with the Z, like us. We say us, not okay. us. So, yeah. David Yaz. Yaz yeah, is good. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? University of Pennsylvania. Is that a good West college, Philly? David? He's, he's a, a he's a yeah. he, he's a Quaker. He's a I am Quaker. A, he's, I am a he's Quaker. A, he's a Quaker. Yep. yep. He is the uh, the. Uh, 
entrepreneur brainchild behind pod617.com. So he's and he also produces it. He sits with us and uh, adds color to the show, and yeah. we appreciate that. The podcast. And uh, where, where did the uh, YAS get his JD? At uh, Boston University School of Law. At BU School yes. of Law. Right, right. Did Commonwealth your parents Tall, always, tallest law school in the nation? And w- when your parents wanted you to be a lawyer or a doctor or something like Mom that, Mom is was and is a lawyer. Um, wow! But after after he um, after got you his became degree. a lawyer, no, she, no, no. She she said that she went to school after you finished your JD. She went back. No, well, she did go back sort of later in life. That yeah. as as she tells the story, she asked me. Uh, at the time, should I go back to law school? And I said, you should go for it, Mommy. Now, of course, I was 10 years old at the time oh, when she okay. asked me. So then again, um, you know, my mom uh, and her sister, Margie Clapper, have been known to embellish facts before. So who knows what she told you? So but so what is yeah. your expertise in law? Um, never really practiced. Never. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so I went, I went over to... You did other stuff. Yeah, I, uh, I went over Lawyers Weekly very early in my career. I was at Lawyers Weekly for 15 years. So that's kind of how I got into the, okay. the media stuff, writing and, oh. and, and all that. And, um, He's an interesting guy, we Professor. Are. Well, I mean, wow. I, I, uh, it's, it's, it's uh, certainly no, uh, no, no shame. That my wife often will, will suggest, and I hope this doesn't make the podcast, you know, our, our oldest daughter is a, is a law school graduate, uh, but she is not a practicing attorney. Uh, she she went to get her JD for the express purpose of increasing her professional qualifications as a librarian. So she has her JD on top of her library science degree to be a, a legal reference librarian. A law libra- law librarians yes. do pretty well. Yes, they can do okay. And so my wife would say, "Could you just sit for the bar?" You could. Uh, my wife had been a realtor for a while. You could you could you know be a broker. You, you could just hang your shingle out and do nothing and help people get divorced or help them close their houses and make lots of money. So, mm-hmm. well, but. I will tell you, one of my favorite jobs in my life was. Working at the library throughout high school, next to Ringe Tech in Cambridge was the Cambridge Public Library in between Cambridge Latin and Ringe. And I would work there every day after school. And I loved working in the library. I learned the Dewey Decimal System. I would read about the Beatles in all kinds of books and periodicals from all over the world. And uh, I have a, uh, a real affection for working at the library. So anyway, I think that's about it for the day. This is Get Back to the Beatles on Pod 6177. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's what I liked about the library. It was quiet. You could hear it. You could hear it. But, you know, you should check out the other shows on pod617.com. I'll be going on Fright Night soon, hosted by the great John O'Neill. I'm a huge Vincent Price fan. In fact, a day or two ago, it was Vincent Price's birthday. Mm. So I'm going to go on uh, one episode of Fright Night and talk about my favorite Vincent Price movie called The Last Man on Earth. Well, I can't wait. And Chach, uh, you, you know this, I think, but we just launched a podcast called Monsterland, Ronnie, Ronnie yes. LeBlanc and Maddie Blake, and they want to do a crossover, uh, all about the paranormal. They want to do a crossover podcast with you to talk about the Beatles' um, relations in the paranormal and I would, the weird. And the- I would love that. Yeah. I'm totally into the paranormal. I would. I love to think that we will go somewhere else after we're done because most of my pie has been eaten up. Uh, I'm much older than you guys. I just hope there's a life after this, because I just hope I'm not going just nowhere uh, and just going into the ground. But I would love to be on that podcast. And uh, stay tuned for Fright Night. I'll be on that. And Marjorie Claproot, a sweetheart. I've known her for years. And, of course, Professor Gallant from Suffolk University, Beatles instructor. Hope to be back at your class soon. And we'll be back very soon within the next week or two with another episode of Get Back to the Beatles. Have a great day. David, anything else before we go? Uh, looking forward to the uh, birthday, Beatle birthday events. June 23rd. Up. Are you coming to that? I am. 
Fantastic. Okay, so just remember one thing. Peace and love and peace and lunch. We'll see you next time on Get Back to the Beatles. Thank Get you. back, Jojo. Make sure to check for the latest episode of Get Back to the Beatles with Chachi LaPrette at pod617.com. The Boston Podcast Network. <laughs>